is Arif Katra, and I'm the host of Voices Worth Listening To. This is a podcast dedicated to sharing stories about diversity, stories that I hope will make you think and reflect on how we experience each other's differences. My goal is to encourage change in our individual perspectives and in the ways in which we live and work together. This episode explores how organizations can drive firm performance by having a better understanding of how to identify and leverage diversity. As a professor who has worked at some of the top business schools in the world, I've seen firsthand how recruiters from the most successful banks, consulting firms, consumer goods companies, and tech companies hire top flight graduates. Companies are looking for bright self-starters, but they also need seasoned, deeply experienced, and well-rounded professionals. No matter the level for which an organization is recruiting, the final decision, more often than not, boils down to fit. What is fit? That's the million-dollar question, or at least the 100,000-plus question. When faced with the challenge of fitting in, what do applicants focus on? Looking, sounding, and behaving in a way that is credible. I've had female students struggle with wearing tighter clothes and dozens of expensive visits to the hairdresser because pretty people are more likely to get the job. That's a sad example of what fit can feel like. I had a relatively senior Muslim colleague who had never had a drink start drinking at recruitment dinners. Why? Because he didn't want the top five consulting firms he was recruiting at to feel like he wouldn't fit in. And of course, as recruitment season would arrive on campus, each and every one of my wonderful male students who had set their goals on that elusive investment banking job would don their black suits, black ties, white shirts, and of course, identical haircuts, like a small army of clone troopers walking the halls. But they knew what they were doing. Because they would say to me, we all know whether you get the job or not is really about fit. Over the course of my career, I've been blessed to have the opportunity to teach undergrads, MBAs, and executives who work at some of the top companies and organizations in the world. With 20 years of executive development experience, I've seen my fair share of leaders. No matter the leadership development program, themes related to innovation, differentiation, exceptionalism, Authenticity, personal branding, and competitive advantage regularly emerge. The message at its core is simple. Strong leaders are authentic. They take the time to know themselves. They take the time to understand leadership best practices. And to be an exceptional leader, you must find an authentic and unique leadership style that bridges best practice with your personal character. That's the secret sauce. That's the core 
of strong leadership. However, this is often completely at odds with how organizations recruit, identify, and promote their top talent. Uniqueness is more often than not trumped by fit, trumped by sameness. When this happens, three outcomes emerge. Outcome one, the organization gets hires who do the job well, but fail to be exceptional. Leaders in these organizations often reflect on why most of their hires struggle to make strategic contributions that could really move the organization forward. Outcome two, employees who have many unique perspectives and value-creating ideas that could really help their organization face challenges and opportunities, spend most of their time keeping those ideas to themselves. Instead, they are constantly trying to meet the bar for perceived credibility because they know that fitting in is key to advancement. Outcome three. Employees who are unique try to make a contribution. They get ignored or belittled and they often leave or are pushed out. So what does the research say? McKinsey, in their work on delivering through diversity, found that companies in the top quartile for gender diversity on their executive teams were 21% more likely to have above-average profitability than companies in the fourth quartile. For ethnic and cultural diversity, top quartile companies were 33% more likely to outperform on profitability. A 2018 study by the Harvard Business Review found that the most diverse companies were also the most innovative. Companies with higher than average diversity had 19% higher innovation-related revenues. I could quote a dozen other studies. The research is unequivocal. Diversity drives performance. And yet, in a Forbes Insights effort that surveyed 321 executives working for large global companies, only 48% strongly agreed that a diverse and inclusive workforce is crucial to encouraging different perspectives and ideas that drive innovation. That's a pretty big gap. Is it because these executives don't believe the numbers? Maybe they don't have confidence in the data. I don't think so. Having worked with executives for over 20 years, I can confidently say that most are committed to being exceptional decision makers. But in the Forbes survey, 15% disagreed that diversity drives innovation and about 25% were lukewarm on its role. This doesn't make sense to me and is not in line with the research findings. So why? Diversity is complex. I think the reason almost 50% of executives are not convinced of its value-creating role is that in their own experiences, they've not seen diversity drive success. Why? Two reasons. One, Organizations struggle to define what is value-creating diversity. And two, organizations are unsure 
about how to create a context that allows individuals with diverse backgrounds to create value. What is value-creating diversity? Most of the time, we define diversity in overly simplified ways. Is the person a visible minority? What is their gender? Are they a member of a marginalized or underrepresented group? This begs the question, does having more gay people or brown people help your organization be more profitable or be more innovative? As a brown gay man, I want the answer to be yes. But the answer is not straightforward and resides in the idea of lived experience. If being gay has afforded you a set of lived experiences that allow you to think about the challenges facing your organization differently, then the answer might be yes. So let me share a more detailed example of what is value creating diversity. Let's say you run a marketing department that oversees assets in multiple countries. You know diversity matters to outcomes. So your goal is to have a team where there is strong representation of people born in other countries. But is this bar for geographic diversity high enough to actually influence your team's performance? The reason most companies want geographic diversity in their marketing departments is to tap into those individuals' lived experiences as buyers of global products and because they have unique insights into how the organization's products or services should be portrayed or adapted so that global consumers will see value. Being born in another country is unlikely to drive this level of insight. But having lived in multiple geographies and having experienced the acculturation process in each one of those geographies may lead to highly insightful marketing knowledge. This higher bar definition of geographic diversity is necessary if the intent is to hire a professional whose diversity will truly augment the marketing team's performance. You might be asking yourself, Should organizations be so strategic when thinking about diversity? Look, I want to believe more than most that organizations should look like the societies in which they live and the populations they serve. For me, representation matters at a moral and ethical level. But when you look around, this is nowhere close to reality for most for-profit or non-profit organizations in Canada or the U.S., Remember, almost 50% of executives in North American organizations are not convinced that diversity matters in driving performance outcomes. So if your organization espouses an overly simplistic understanding of diversity, then it's likely that it will not have experienced how diversity improves organizational outcomes. But if your organization takes the time to understand the kinds of lived experiences that would add value and then hires for those lived experiences, then and only then will the organization experience how diversity can drive firm performance. Although many organizations are becoming more diverse, many also struggle to create a culture that allows individuals with diverse lived experiences to flourish and to add value. Why? 
The first challenge is that many organizations send a very strong cultural message that everyone is the same here. In these organizational contexts, leaders try very hard to not see your differences and assert that the only thing that matters to them is merit, as though your unique lived experiences would have nothing to do with merit. I'm always personally fascinated when people say to me, or if I don't see color. The equivalent in organizational life is when leaders say that they know they are being fair and equitable when they don't see your differences. As a person who has lived in these kinds of organizations, I assure you that not seeing all of me makes me feel undervalued. In fact, the message it sends goes something like, RF, we love that you're different, as long as you harness those differences to fit in and help us continue to perform in the same ways that we've been performing in the past. These organizations just don't feel like home. The second challenge I see among organizations that struggle to create a culture that allows them to successfully leverage diversity is an ongoing and often deliberate messaging that says, you're one of us. I call these cultures ones committed to conversion therapy. Let me tell you the story of a good friend. Let's call him Ellie. Ellie joins the senior management team of a major company. He is the first person of color on that team. Ellie's social life has always involved a number of activities within his faith community. On weekends, he mentors young people within his cultural community. He is excited about this new position, and Ellie understands the weight that is on his shoulders. His colleagues want to connect with him. They want to get to know him, and they want him to feel like he's included. But rather than do that on Ellie's terms, they insist on getting to know him on their terms. He's invited to be part of their golf club. His bonus at the end of the year is exceptional, with the CEO saying, I hope you'll use some of that money to join the private social club most of the other executives belong to. There is some indirect pressure to have his kids go to the same schools as his colleagues' kids. I don't think, in fact, I know, these invitations are not malicious, and their intent is inclusion. Their result, however, is just not that straightforward. If you want to join these clubs or send your kids to the same schools as your colleagues, all the power to you. But if that is not in line with your identity or your lifestyle, in light of your diverse lived experiences, then this effort at inclusion feels more like conversion. A clear message that says, you have to be more like us for us to include you. This results in stunting the very diversity that could move the organization forward. As a gay brown Muslim man who has lived around the world, my reality is that I stand out. My lived experience is reflected in how I think, what I value, and my ability to get things done. I don't thrive in environments where my colleagues and supervisors want everyone to be the same, or when I have to become one of us to fit in. Every time I felt these pressures in my organizational life, I've left. So assuming I was worth keeping, and some may argue that that's a pretty big assumption. 
what could an organization do to create a culture that supports individuals with diverse lived experiences to flourish and to contribute in unique ways? This culture needs to be built at the leadership level, the staff level, frankly, across the organization. So how do you build that culture? One, people from all walks of life in the organization need to see that they are represented in a way that matters to the future of the organization. That means being represented in the senior leadership team and on key strategic project teams, not just BIPOC committees. Two, when people with significantly diverse lived experiences are on the senior management team, the organization benefits from agency, that is, someone on the team who understands firsthand how to recruit, retain, and leverage diversity in the organization. In Canada, this is a major issue. I have a PhD from the Richard Ivey School of Business, and I was a faculty member there for years. I loved Ivey. I loved my students. And as the school approaches its 100-year anniversary, there is yet to be a person of color who has served as the dean or on the executive committee. How acceptable is it for one of Canada's top business schools to not reflect its student population? Three, a culture that values diversity measures diversity and measures representation. It also deliberately and tangibly values those things as part of a career progression plan. Four, leaders who value diversity will be in touch with diversity. They will find ways to regularly interact with individuals and groups within and outside their organization to better understand the unique lived experiences of those who work in their organizations at all levels. Five, an organization that successfully leverages diversity ensures people feel professionally and personally empowered to put their ideas forward without fear of exclusion. In fact, there's an unwritten expectation from the organization that people will express and live their differences. Six, lunch. We can't leverage differences if we don't understand them. We can't understand them if we don't interact with them. Every year, I think your organization should pay for three lunches, where you take the opportunity to share a meal with someone you wouldn't otherwise see in the course of your daily work. Creating opportunities for social and professional interaction is the only way for an organization to pave the way for diversity to positively influence performance. My last suggestion, seven. An organization who is committed to building a culture that celebrates and leverages diversity, equity, and inclusion must be willing to reflect on that journey. What do I mean by reflection? Think a diversity audit. You can read more about my approach to diversity audits on my website. But it's important to know that diversity audits are increasingly becoming an important part of building high-performing organizations. I hope you'll join me again in a few weeks by subscribing to the podcast. And I especially hope that today, the time spent listening to this podcast made you feel that this was a voice worth listening to. If you would like more information about my work in diversity, 
and strategy, please visit my website at www.strat-ology.com. That's S-T-R-A-T-O-L-O-G-Y.com. The music in this podcast is from the Toronto Tabla Ensemble. To find out more, visit torontotabla.com. That's the word Toronto and the word tabla, T-A-B-L-A dot com. Thank you.